So I want to encourage you, we've been, we started last week with a series called Collide, and we want to encourage you to consider that. Uh, Collide, what we're doing here on this particular sermon series is we're talking about our faith colliding with certain challenges and emotions that we go through. We were talking about fear last week, but what we want to do is talk about what we fear at times and the fear of control or the fear of anger, the fear of failure. Sometimes we have the fear of rejection. And last week I mentioned about how when a star is out in the sky and it's, it's coming to its final end of lifespan, there are two things that could happen within a star as it's coming at its final lifespan. You have matter that's around this star. It starts to kind of cave in. The matter becomes very heavy. And as it's caving in, it's collapsing. And as it's collapsing, actually in the Latin, it means to collide. So the star is actually colliding within itself. And there are two things that can happen with that star. It could either turn into a supernova through an explosion within itself and that collision. Or it, a star can also at its end of lifespan go into a smaller place in the space. And the matter's so heavy that it it starts to implode and create a black hole. And that black hole has no visible life, no light can even expand or come out of it, it's invisible. And then it begins to suck in everything around it. So two things that can happen in a collision can be an explosion that creates a supernova, which is a new star, an explosive star, as we talked about last week, or it could be something like an implosion that can just cause a black hole, that can even cause more devastating effect. Now, when we ask that question, what about our lives? When you have faith and you have fear, and you have areas in your life where you're not sure what you're fearful of because you haven't been exposed of it, fear starts to take over. And if our faith isn't bigger than our fear, it can do two things. When God wants to meet our faith with fear, he can cause an explosion that could create a new life. Because see, if you and I are created to be conformed to the image of Jesus, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God wants to do a lot of explosions in your life. He wants explosions for the goodness of the gospel, for the goodness of the work of God in you and I so that we can be a new life for him wherever we go. When God works in us, then we could be that light to, work, to help work in others, help work in others as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to help those who are hurting who are depressed, who are suicidal, who are people who are on drugs and addictions, who, who we know are struggling day in and day out. How can we meet the need of someone else if we don't know what it's like to be met by God? It's impossible. You and I cannot lead someone to Christ if we have an apologetic debate. Have you ever tried one of those? It'll zap the energy out of you in a heartbeat. I've been to Italy talking to Jehovah Witnesses, sharing with them the gospel, sitting there for three hours. Some of you are thinking, wow, you can talk Italian that long? Yes, I can. But the thing is, though, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to just reach them and meet them at a place for talking to them about defending the gospel. I had a good defense, but it just couldn't jump over and carry that bridge over to get them to Christ because it was an intellectual debate. See, the Holy Spirit has to come in and change a life. 
there has to be an explosion. Now, one we would know that would be the Hulk and abomination, like I mentioned last week, where if, if you're into car, you know, all those cartoons and comics, and I'm not into those, but I used to like watching those cartoons with the superheroes, and the collision and the striking, we're not talking about that kind of collision. Because last week we talked about listening to the whisper where God met Elijah with just a whisper. It wasn't the earthquake. It wasn't the fire. It was the whisper. Well, today, while we have a short period of time together, um, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was, you know, the different fears. But one we, you know, we know so often is the fear of losing control. I mean, how many of us, when we are parents or we have loved ones around us, how often do we have a fear of losing control of our children's lives, of our marriages, of our jobs, the control that we could have in situations so that we can determine our next steps? the plans that we have when our children may go a little wayward or we hear the attitudes and the snippets and all of a sudden we see this consistent attitude problem. We think it's just something they're going through in their age, but it could be something deeper than that. I mean, each one of us, we, we have to ask, sometimes we have the fear of losing control of our reputation. We're afraid of what people think of us. So what we do is we, we want to try to contain that, control that. We try to hear what people are saying about us or we're concerned about how good we look. Or sometimes we're just afraid of that, you know, we have to control how people respond. I mean, we have these overwhelming attitudes and struggles and the difficulties in our lives. But I think one of the most difficult things as a believer is that God is sovereign, as we understand it intellectually, but do we really believe that? If God is sovereign and in control, would we then as believers, as his children, learn to let go? And so that's that tension that exists as we're thinking about our faith and our fear, but our fear to lose that control. There's many of them, but so when I think about a story, when we think about the old familiar story, oh, I heard an old, old story. Sing it out. From glory. Okay, I like that. Okay, anyway, thank you for singing for me. I like that. But now here's the thing. When you hear an old, old story, the story, you can be familiarized with the story and don't see the specifics that are going on in the story. So hopefully this morning we'll be able to go over an old, old story with David and Goliath. Some of you go, oh, Bruno, I know that story. I'm glad that you do. I'm sure you know it better than I do. But even if you do, it doesn't matter. We still have to go through it together. So if you would open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17 of this familiar saga, the episode, the narrative that exists here with a Goliath of a man who represents the Philistines and has a god named Dagon. And then you have the Israelites who are represented by Saul, the king, but he's a little afraid to face this Goliath of a man. And there's some speculation, which I'm not here to debate that, whether he was nine foot seven inches or whether he was just Andre the Giant, just under seven foot. Now, if you watched wrestling WWE, I happen to do it once in a while. My son thinks I'm a little crazy. WWE, you got the big show. He's seven four. So if you think about this guy, He's somewhere, they're saying, speculation about 6'9", 6'10". 
So he's the height of uh, more than average uh, giant. If you got Eric Mandrable in the room, he's 6'5", you got to go five inches taller, okay? So you're going into this aspect that the other men were a little bit shorter. They were probably in the fives to five fives. So we don't know exactly how David was. We just know it says that he was small and ruddy. We don't know his height. So if you can imagine, most of these Israelites are looking up to this Goliath of a man, whether you believe his nine foot seven would, would be ginormous, or you would look at him as just set, close to seven foot. I don't know about you, but if I see, I've seen a few seven footers and they're pretty big, especially if you got a big guy, it just makes it all big. So here is a Goliath of a man in front of this small person. And what's so interesting about a familiar story is that in the story, it says that as Goliath began to approach and got closer, David, we know, would become smaller. And as Goliath became bigger to the Israelites and they became smaller, how often in our lives, when we have what we call metaphorically a Goliath, how many Goliaths we have in our lives, that a Goliath gets bigger and bigger and bigger and we get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then sometimes with us getting smaller, our faith gets smaller. And as our faith gets smaller, what happens? I mean, what makes it smaller? What's starting to diminish in our lives? What could be these Goliaths? You know, people don't think miscommunications in marriage. The difficulties of managing a children's environment. Now, for some of the moms out there, we know, especially if you have young children, it's difficult. Some of you that have children out of the house and you're empty nesters, that's great. But environments are difficult to contain when you have many children. I just happen to have, my wife and I have four children. Some have more than that. But if you're three or four or more, that's plenty of environment to contain. And when you have that issue there, there's a managing. There's attempting to, if you're a young person and you're single and you're attempting to find a spouse, how many of you remember that day? I remember that day, the pressure of finding a spouse when you were in your 20s. Back even just 20 years ago, we were wondering where we could find a spouse. The pressure, the Goliath in one's life. I'm, I'm talking right now with some, some who are close to me and some nephews. I'm talking to young people when I teach in college that they're always thinking about that. Who is going to be my spouse, my mate? It's a Goliath of a decision to make. Some of us who are a little bit older, we don't have to make that decision anymore. But yet for them it is. Sometimes it's financial debt. You have a lot of debt in your life, whether you're older or you're younger. It's a huge mountain in front of you and you know you can't knock down that mountain. Jesus says if you had just faith as small as a mustard seed, you could tell a mountain to move. I would love to move these mountains when there's financial debt. I'd like to say move now, right away, now. But it doesn't work that way. Joy and I have had to go through some of that and God rescues us when he gets us through it. But yet you have a Goliath and you have dealing with difficult loss. You, lo you lose loved ones. You have a Goliath in your life when you realize you've hit a mountain that your mom or your dad is no longer there. That's a Goliath. Or when you're sitting here and you're asking that question of job and you don't like where you're at, that's a Goliath. Or you've just been diagnosed with cancer. That's a Goliath. And so as the Goliath gets bigger, we diminish sometimes. Why? Because sometimes I think we forget 
God's commitment to his own character. So when we see a Goliath, we start to think we have to fight that Goliath off. But David had a Goliath in front of him. He, the whole Israelites, all the army saw Goliath. There was three miles that were two mountaintops, a Goliath that was shouting across and he was defying the name of God. And all the Israelites were just like, you going? No, you going? No, you going? Uh-uh. That Goliath is too big for me. I ain't even thinking about it, yo. You want to get some coffee? Yeah, let's go get some coffee. And then we just turn around and go get coffee. No one wants to look at the Goliath. Are you kidding me? Then here comes this ruddy, small shepherd boy with, a, with just a sack there. He has a slingshot and, and he's going to have some stones. When you look at a Goliath, you're like, what in the world? Where's your javelin, son? Where's your armor, son? Where's your, where's your shield, son? You're not even booted up for military. What in the world are you trying? And he's, he's upset that he's defying the name of the Lord. What kind of faith did David really have? But see, for us, why is it that sometimes we don't have that faith? Look with me to 1 Samuel 17, 41. We know the story. And it says, the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Although his looks wasn't going to do anything here. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you would come to me with sticks? Meaning the Hebrew means, are you here to spank me like a dog? Meaning he was, he was so frustrated that they would even consider bringing this small ruddy man to this mammoth Goliath in front of him. Then he goes, and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And then the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give you flesh to the birds of the air and to the, and to the beasts of the field. And so here he is, he's defying the name of God. But he, see, what happens is David's sitting there, he's standing for the name of the Lord, the Lord of, of hosts, the Lord God, Yahweh, Elohim, the God of Israel, the covenant-keeping, loyal-keeping God who stands for, here are the people of Israel who represent this God, and they're standing before him. He's the I am God, and yet as this is being played out, David is not even afraid of what he sees in that Goliath. Because what he sees in front of him is that someone is taunting this God that he knows. See, for David, he didn't forget the commitment that God had for him because of his character. God was going to stand for himself, and David knew that, and David stood with God. And so here he is because he cursed God's. Look with me to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. He cursed his God, this is what God says to Abraham, which is an Abrahamic covenant. So important here because David is going to be part of the Davidic covenant. So when you connect the covenants together, theologically important right now. Watch this now. Verse 3, this is the Abrahamic covenant. He goes, God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what God was saying is, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. So now keep that in mind because now Goliath is cursing the name of God, Yahweh, Elohim. This is the God of Israel. So now we're back in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel and this is what David says. Then David said to the Philistines, 
to the Philistine, you come with me in sword and with a spear and with a javelin, meaning you come with me with your resources. You come with me with your military garb. You come with me with your military strategy. You come with me with all your so-called strength, but this is what I come with. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's powerful. There's something about the name of Jesus. It's powerful. And when you experience and hear David, so he goes, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And he goes on, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. That was preposterous to the logical thinking person. Are you kidding me? Small ruddy guy, big Goliath. I'll take my odds on the big Goliath. How much, what's the betting odds? And they're going back there and they're doing all their betting and their, their numbers and all that. And they're saying, I take the Goliath. 10 out of 10 would take Goliath. But David in his faith and how big it was, how enormous it was, faith was big, his big, bigger than his fear. He said this. He goes, I will strike you down and cut your head off. Those are some big words. You better back them up, young man. And then he goes on, and I will give you the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that you, that there is a God in Israel. And then he goes on to say, and that all of his assembly may know that, that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Wow. See, when you see a big Goliath, like each one of us in our lives, the natural tendency is to fear. Why? Because we believe that the resource begins and ends with us. That's where the problem lies. So we believe that in our responsibility to control it, yet we recognize that help we need is earthly rather than it could be from heaven. We're looking for earthly. So when a situation becomes so big, we just say, not logically possible. Gonna call that one out. We can't do it. Why not? Because it's, not, it's just not logical. We start to see the resource starts here and it ends here. But see, if David were the case, David wouldn't even look at this opportunity nor look at this Goliath. And see, when we attempt to rescue ourselves, it doesn't work. And then we look to other resources and people in past history, but it also fails. Then doubt and unbelief begin to set in. Why? Because it needs to pass the logical test. You know how many people I've heard say to me, Bruno, this doesn't make any sense what you're trying to do. I says, uh, it's not about making any logical sense. I live for a God. Faith is, all things are possible with God. I move my family down to Dallas, 1,500 miles. My wife is seven and a half months pregnant. It makes no sense. Everybody was questioning me. My best friends who were here knew what we were going through. And my God said, you must go. We went, had no money. We had some, it was gone in two years. We were left with no money after two years. And the Lord said, still trust me. Oh, it was rough. It was rough on our marriage. It was rough in everything. But the Lord said, trust me, trust me. $30,000 worth of debt for school. Trust me, trust me. I graduated, walked away, not one penny of debt. 
Not one penny of debt. Logically, it made no sense. But it's not supposed to. I'm not holding on to my resources. When it doesn't make sense, that's usually when God's in it. When you can make sense of something, they say usually God is not in it. That's faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And this is what usually happens in our minds. As faithful, abiding Christians, we could never verbally recite this information, but it would mean that we would have to admit that we really don't trust God. Is it a matter of unbelief? So when we realize that we are not able to do it or that it doesn't make logical sense, we must surrender control of the situation and believe God is able to be committed to his character and we represent the Lord. We bear the name of Christ. The Israelites were bearing the name of God. The fight was between the God of Israel and the God of Philistine. Who's gonna win? Hey guys, take my bet back. I think I'm gonna go with Israel. Put me down a million on Israel. I mean, let's be honest. If we know who God is in his character, he's got a good reputation. He's 10 out of 10. When he makes a promise, he fulfills it. And see, that's what happens. We forget the character of God. He will cover his own back. And when we bear the name of Christ, we're on his back. We don't rely on our own worthy resources. We rely on him. I know it seems difficult. What we see, we don't see. But God says that faith is not to live by sight. We we put our faith in the God who created us through his son, Jesus, who gave us salvation. And it's so important for us to understand this because when you and I are fighting, we don't fight with our earthly resources. We fight with divine resources. And that's why it's so important. Believers don't even have to, they have to, believers don't even fight off their enemies because their enemy sometimes can be God. Now you guys are going to look at me and say, what? You're saying that my enemy is God? It can be. Let me explain. God is sovereign, correct? Okay, if he's sovereign, he's in control and he allows a situation to happen, he's calling us to do what? Have faith. So when we have faith, we trust him no matter what. But when we don't like where we're at and we're complaining and grumbling and just like the people who are wandering around for 40 years, we complain, we question, we doubt, and it turns to unbelief, what happens? Who's our enemy? Is it ultimately Satan? Yes. But in this case, is it Satan? Or sometimes we're fighting against God. Why? Because God allows a situation and we don't like it, so we're fighting against God. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to surrender. And see, we're not, he gives us the resources to do that. This is what I mentioned here. I said, I think this is why the universal church is not as effective as they should be. There's local churches and universal church. Because I think what happens is universal church falls into this trap that they're really fighting against the Lord. And I think the fight is internal. It's our, we're our own worst enemy. Then we try to fight God off. And then we realize it's the enemy trying to trick us and manipulate us. And then we get back to saying, wait a minute, I just need to surrender again. And it takes that surrendering, that movement of happening. And the Lord is because why? He's for us. He wants what's best for us. He allowed difficulty, struggle, trial, and impossible situations. So you and I can see that God is the one who fights for our battles. See, you and I can't fight for our own. God bears his name. He bears his own reputation. He bears his own character. We forget that. God is committed to his name and his character. And therefore, 
He's fighting for his own sake. We just come along with it. Even Deuteronomy chapter 20, Deuteronomy shares this too. It's like God himself, he's saying this, he's saying, when you go out to war against your enemies and see the horses and the chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them for the Lord your God is with you who brought you out of the land of Egypt and when you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and you shall say to them, hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart be faint. Do not fear or panic or be in a dread of them, for the Lord your God is he who does, goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. So now we hear David believes that, he holds to it, he's fighting a Goliath, his, his faith is overwhelming, he doesn't allow fear to to encompass him because he knows that God is committed. This is two. Sometimes what we do is we forget his, that he's a hold on his character and sometimes we forget that he has a commitment to his covenant. Just like in the Abrahamic covenant, God always holds his commitment to his covenant, his promises. So we, we know he's holding to his character and to his covenant. And what does he call to us to do? Simply to surrender. Look with me to verse 48 of 1 Samuel. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are you and I going to run toward a Goliath? Do you want more trials and tribulations? And I don't. I don't want it. David who knew God was there, able to go forward, was running toward this Goliath. What made this man be crazy enough to do so? Because he knew God's character and he knew he was gonna hold fast to his covenant. The Abrahamic covenant and he's preparing David in the Davidic covenant. And his son will be of the new covenant, Jesus in the lineage. And the beauty of it is that God is sitting here and saying, I will fight your battles. So when God puts a Goliath in front of us, when we believe he can overtake the Goliath, he's only allowing you and I to go through it so we could draw closer to him, so we can learn from him, so we can love him, so we can learn the goodness and gracious, compassionate, loving God that we have. We can't learn it intellectually. I can attest of that. I love the intellect. I love to sit in the word of God. I love to talk about theology. I love to write or I love to study. But that's not where my faith has grown. My faith has grown through the trial, through the difficulty, through the struggle, through the impossibilities, through the times when Goliaths were in front of me and I didn't understand it, but God kept saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. Look, I'm holding my tears. Because I was like Jeremiah in Jeremiah 27 and 9. I says, stop it, I don't want this anymore. A friend of mine said the other day that a younger person said, I want to go in the ministry. My friend said, run fast, run away. Run away. Why? Because it's so tough. But yet it's a calling and so rewarding. And here was David willing to die for the kingdom. 
for his God. And what did he do? We know. So David, in verse 50, prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. That's why I entitled this sermon, A Sling and a Stone. That's all he needed. It wasn't a javelin. It wasn't a spear. It wasn't what the typical military garb of all military forces with their strategies and their plans and their, and their bringing up of training these men. He just had a sling shot and a stone. Do you know it's against the law to have a slingshot here in New Jersey? I just found out. Peter was telling me, Cindy's doing this. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I said I was going to have a prop here and say, hey, you guys can just have a sling and a stone. But he picked out stones from a brook and put it in his sack. He treated it just like a bear trying to get after his sheep. Do you know it says in Leviticus 24, 16, because we know that Goliath was taunting. Look with me. You got to see this. It's really cool. 2416, Leviticus, 2416. Help me out. Can I hear some pages turning? Help me out. Go like this. Just try to make it sound like you're going to it. Okay, here we go. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. Isn't it interesting that God used David to take a stone and stone this man who defied the name of the Lord God, Elohim Yahweh, our strong God. And he he got him right in the cranium. What a perfect shot. No other could have done it. But God was behind it. And it goes on to say this. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut his head off with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Isn't it interesting? Usually we will will flee from a Goliath. The Philistines fled from David. (laughs) This is God. This is what makes no sense. God puts a Goliath in front of us. We trust him. And then the Goliath surrenders and flees. That's what God wants to do with us. See, God doesn't want us to just be committed more. I, I saw this little excerpt from a book, and it was, uh, and it was from, a, from a person who was in a book uh, from David Platt called Radical. It was a man who um, actually, he was, he was uh, on the field. He was a native in, in, the, um, in one of the countries, I can't recall, but he had a witch doctor in front of him, and the witch doctor said, I will kill you today. He threatened him to kill him. Now, this guy, Joseph, he was one who, he was like a third-degree kind of black belt kind of guy. Like, he, he said, I could have took this guy down in a heartbeat, but the Lord says, you are not to do anything but stand still. So this witch doctor went in front of him, and he defied Christ, and he defied the name of God, and the Lord told Joseph just to stand still. And then the guy was ready to come at him. And the guy lost his breath and dropped dead. He choked. God choked him and he dropped dead. This witch doctor. Missionary who was there saw, heard about it. There was a true story. Here was a man who could have taken down this witch doctor through, through what he was able to do in his karate training or whatever you want to call it. And here God choked him, and he dropped dead. Similar to the Goliath, David just flinged the stone. He slinged it, 
and the Goliath was down. How many of us, now this is what he's saying. So Joseph asked, what, what is the difference between commitment and surrender? And um, this guy was asking Joseph, and Joseph said, when you make a commitment, you are still in control. No matter how noble the thing you commit to, one can commit to prayer, one can commit to studying the Bible, one can commit to giving their money, or commit to automobile payments, or to lose weight. Whatever he chooses to do, he commits to. But surrender is different. If someone holds a gun and asks you to lift up your hands in the air as a token of surrender, you don't tell that person what you are committed to. You simply surrender and do as you're told. He said, Americans love commitment because they are still in control. But the key word is surrender. We are to be slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God calls us. Servants of the Most High God. See, David, all he was, was a servant of the Most High God. What are you and I? We're a servant of the Most High God. God calls us to surrender. Our faith colliding with fear must cause us to surrender. I want to encourage you, if you have a Goliath in your life, one that you know you don't have the resource to overcome, think of David and Goliath. Think of the divine resource you have. Surrender to God and let him fight your battle. It's a cool place to be. So I want to encourage you as you're you're bowing your heads and we're going to pray and as the worship team is coming forward. there's, There's a Goliath in your life. Each one of you have one. And each one of you have to make a decision. You know what that Goliath is. You know the challenge. You know what's in front of you. I want to encourage you to do so.